his insights have blessed this church many times in the past, and I always enjoy spending time with him and am blessed by his encouragement, his wisdom, and his wit. So, Kurt, come and talk to us. It's good to be back. I am uh, disappointed that Shannon uh, ruined my lesson. Uh, if I remember correctly, my lesson last time I was here was, it's all Doug's fault. And I was hoping for some consistency, but uh, I guess there's fault to spread around, and uh, after you hear me, you'll, you'll imagine there's even more fault to be spread around, I'm sure. Um, if you are interested in keeping along and filling in blanks, there's a little worksheet on the back of the announcements. I just want to point out that I've given some scriptural references at the end of each point that I am not really going to talk about much uh, this evening. If those uh, passages are not in the book of Galatians, I've added them there because I think they're interesting. And if you wanted to pursue things beyond tonight, I would suggest you look those passages up and think about what they might say about the topic of serving. Now, serving one another. That's how it's translated in most English Bibles. Serve one another. And the reason that that particular word is chosen is because of the horrific history of slavery in the United States. Now, obviously there was slavery in the first century in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, but slavery in the first century was a little bit different than slavery in 19th century America. Um, one way or the other, it was not good. Okay? But because there is uh, some significant differences between the types of slavery that existed in the first century and in the 19th century, English translation have tended to avoid language of slavery unless it is explicitly talking about a slave in the story. I think there is a problem with that uh, because when we talk about serve one another, we have certain ideas about what the word serve means in English. But in the Bible, it's actually talking about being enslaved to one another. And that, to me, <laughs> has a very different ring to it. And if God is calling us to be enslaved to one another, then it might be good for us to think about what on earth does that mean. And I think there are some really significant differences between the two. One is optional, but the other is required. If you're going to do service, I'm going to sign up at the church office for helping with this, or I'm going to uh, schedule some time at some sort of not-for-profit organization to help people. I'm going to do that on my own time when I want to, and it's really optional. It's something I can choose to do. It's something I can choose not to do, but slavery, you don't have a choice. If you are a slave, you are a slave. 
And if God is calling us to be enslaved to one another, then there's something about that that calls me to engage those people around me in a very different way. I don't have the right to say, uh, well, I can fit you in Friday afternoon. Or I only do service three hours a month. Slavery is full-time. It's obligatory. One is temporary, one is for life. Or we might even say one is for eternity. Because I don't think that we ever end being slaves. Right? Paul will talk about how we are either slaves to righteousness or to sin. We are either slaves to Christ or we're slaves to Satan. Uh, the idea that Jesus gives about you can't serve two masters. You've got one or the other. And one of the very interesting things about this passage in Galatians 5, where we have Paul telling us to be enslaved to one another, is the way he opens up the chapter. He says, you've been set free by Christ. Right? You've been set free by Christ from this slavery to sin, but now you've been set free by Christ not to live a free life, but to be enslaved to one another. It's not the sense that Christ has set us free, but that we have changed masters. We have been bought from a cruel master, and we are now owned by a gracious master. But as gracious as Jesus Christ is, sometimes his people are not as gracious. And then another thing I think is important is that one is scheduled and the other is on demand. You've been looking at spiritual disciplines. And most of the spiritual disciplines that you have looked at require you to set aside a block of time to focus on spiritual growth. There are, and, and you've probably been told about some of these, there are other types of spiritual disciplines that exist. The one spiritual discipline that I hate the most, and I hate all of them, okay, and it's important for you to know this, spiritual disciplines are not there for you to like. They're disciplines. Okay? They're there to help shape you. I did not like being disciplined as a child. But, some of that must have worked out okay because I'm a half-decent human being now. Uh, I endured things growing up that have shaped me into a relatively well-functioning adult, okay, depending on who you ask. Don't ask my wife. The same thing is true about spiritual disciplines. They're not created for you to love doing this, although it would be great if you learned that. It would be great if it became a habit. These are things that initially you will not like because they force you to do something that you haven't been doing before, and it, it's, it's intended to get you to do something. This, the spiritual discipline that I like the least is the spiritual discipline of interruption. I do not like to be interrupted. I despise being interrupted. I have a lot of stuff 
that I need to get done all the time. If I'm teaching a class, I've got lots of material that I've got to squeeze in to a small time slot. If I'm in my office, I've got lots of papers to grade and a short period of time in which to grade them. Or I'm working on research, and there is always a due date for my research. I don't have time to doing my job. And yet, there is always that one kid whose life is falling apart who has to come into my office. Okay? I put on the syllabus, I don't like you. Stay away. <laughs> they don't read the syllabus. And one of the things that I have had to work very, very hard on is being willing to be interrupted. And I've learned from a friend of mine who has that ability, that spiritual gift down pat. When somebody walks into his office, he just stops whatever he's doing and 100% attention on the person that's just walked in without whining. I'm still working on that. If we are not willing to be interrupted, if we are not willing to serve, to be enslaved to the other, then we at some level are just like those characters in the parable of the Good Samaritan who were too busy to be interrupted by that Samaritan dying on the side of the road because doing my work was just too important for that moment. And if all I'm doing is asking to, being asked to serve, then I can say, well, others can do that. Well, I can put you in this for, and so, in some cases, that's the situation, but often what I'm doing is passing the buck. When God is giving me an opportunity to be enslaved to somebody else in a way that is going to benefit them far beyond anything that I can imagine because God has brought them there. And the question is, am I going to be there too? And so if I just think about my obligation to serve other people, then I can make that on my time I can make that on my schedule. I can make that fit my willingness to do up to this amount. But if I'm enslaved to you, that's a very different picture. Because it's not my standards, it's not my comfort zone, it's not my time, but yours. And this is why I think we, we should have English translations that bring back the original sense. I, I, I understand why the language of slavery is being avoided, but I don't think the language of service does it justice. And I think we need to reconsider then, what does it mean to be enslaved to one another? Well, it means that I am going to do my master's will. But here's the kicker. Okay? I don't, <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't mind doing the master's will if the master is Jesus. But that's not really true. 
Jesus annoys me just as much as everybody else. Jesus has strange demands like love your enemies. I just haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, so, I, but I find ways to feel better about the way I serve Jesus. Because I think somehow Jesus is benefiting me more than maybe I'm benefiting him. And if you've heard that correctly, you'll hear that I am selfish. That in my relationship with Christ, I can be a slave, but a really selfish one. But Paul does not tell us here in Galatians 5 to be enslaved to Christ. Now, he's implied that elsewhere in the book. But now he's applying it to where it really matters. And if we are going to be enslaved to Christ, then we have to be enslaved to the people who are created in his image, which is a whole lot of people, if you haven't read the Bible. Just a clue, everybody. That Paul is asking us, because of what Christ has done for us, because Christ has set us free, to be enslaved to him, he is also calling us to be enslaved to all who are created in his image. And there are a lot of people created in his image that I, I don't even want to give the time of day to. People frustrate me. I, I'm firmly convinced that the biggest mistake God ever made was allowing people into the church. It would have been just fine without them. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, what problem in the church hasn't arisen because of people? Right? I, I, I could see a church building where it's just me and God, right? That's all, my God and I. You know, just sort of me and God holding hands through some sort of uh, poppy field in France. You know, just, uh, uh, I want religion to be like that. I don't want religion to be taking care of orphans and widows. They're demanding. Or one of the hardest passages for me to put into practice at the beginning of Ephesians 4 is put up with one another in love. I, I, it's hard for me to put up with a lot of people. And it's really hard for me to do that in love. Being enslaved to one another is to do the master's will, but the master's will is not just Jesus' will. It is your will. It's my wife's will. The grandkids will, but I'm going to do whatever they want anyway. That one I'm good on. So it's a very different way of thinking about what it is we are supposed to do, who we are supposed to be, and how we're supposed to relate, not just to other Christians, but to the people that God places in our life on a daily basis. How might that change the way we act? When you're in the parking lot and the parking lot is full and you and the other person are heading for that one free parking spot, what are you going to do? Are you going to be a slave to the other person? They may not ever think that you have done them a favor. They may think that was my parking spot. It's good. They recognize that that's... But I guarantee you, if you took that spot, they might remember your face. 
And what would that do for the kingdom of God? Right? Just the littlest things make a big difference. And our mindset must be that we are enslaved to the world. Because Christ is. Christ never asks us to do anything that He hasn't done Himself first. And so often we think that Christ is, has offered us a way not to do that. But He's given us a model on how to do that. To be enslaved is to work without reward. It is... It is to do the master's will no matter what, knowing that you may not get paid. You may not get a pat on the back. You may not get a certificate. You may not pad your resume. You may not be able to do a lot of things that we might want if we were doing service. And there are a lot of people who get bent out of shape because I did all of this great stuff and nobody said thank you. Well, welcome to the cross. What is happening when we are recreated in Christ's image is that we become humanity the way God always intended for humanity to be. Life in the garden, which was marked by sacrificing self for the good of others. The first time that we get an independent pronoun, I'm getting into Hebrew grammar, don't want to bore you with that, Basically, this is it. The first time we get the very specific word I or me in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of humanity. Selfishness. And as strange as it seems, we can do service in very selfish ways. And yet we are being asked and through the Spirit empowered, and through the cross given a model as to how we might do that differently. What does slavery look like? And to be a slave is to be open to abuse. People will take advantage of you. Because what will happen is when they see that you are constantly serving them, they at least some, not all, some will say, oh, that person's gullible. And you are painting a target on your back for people to come take advantage of you. And thankfully, Jesus gave us an escape from that because as Jesus was carrying the cross up to Golgotha, he said, you know what? I remember Joe is not going to say thank you. I've had enough. I'm out of here. Can you imagine if we had the very same mindset, not that we have, can you imagine if Jesus had the same mindset that we often have? I'm not going to say I'm sorry until she says she's sorry. Jesus would still be up in heaven waiting for somebody to say they're sorry. Jesus unilaterally acts on behalf of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son right, for the world. And the world killed him. The world rejected him. 
The world abused him. And Jesus on the cross becomes a model for how we paradoxically live out our lives. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross so we wouldn't have to. He died on the cross so we would know how to. Because Jesus keeps saying, take up your cross and follow me. He didn't mean one that's gold or silver or red or blue. He's talking about a life of sacrifice for the good of other people. And some people, no matter how much good you do for them, will only be evil. But not all. But to be enslaved to one another invites us to be abused. But crucifixion is in our job description. And I wrote down Mark 10, where Jesus talks about leaders in the world, how they lord it over. He says, but the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to be enslaved. Same word. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, this changes everything. Because the way we look at service is we expect something in return some sort of recognition, some sort of even good feeling. I have this issue with college students because they, they will go on campaigns, mission campaigns in this, for spring break or for the summer, and they always come back and say, I think I'm more blessed than the people that I was serving. And, and what ends up happening, I think that's an okay response, but what ends up happening is this idea that I need to do more of that so I can be more richly blessed. That's not the point of going there. That's not the point of doing mission work. It is not you to be more richly blessed. Might that happen? Absolutely. Is that the goal? Absolutely not. What Paul says here in Galatians is that my work must be motivated by love, but there is no guarantee that the person that I am enslaved to, the person that I am serving, is to love me back. The response of the master is irrelevant. Okay? Again, if we think in terms of slavery, if a slave does what his master has told him to do, and Jesus talks about this also in the Gospel of Luke, the best you could say is, hey, I've done my work. You might be lucky, Matthew 25, my good and faithful slave. But all the master needs to know is that you did the work. He doesn't have to respond with a, a, a big old group hug. Okay? And he doesn't have to parade you up in front of the church. And he doesn't have to find some way to uh, give you one evening of recognition. It is your actions that are to be motivated by love. And the response of the master is irrelevant. So if I am enslaved to others, if I am enslaved to those who are created in Christ's image, then 
I have this obligation to serve, to do, to work as hard as I can to do what that person needs, whether or not there is any reciprocal reaction from that person. All I am called to do is to love, and love in action. And that's a very different thing. Because it's very hard for me to do good things for people who aren't going to recognize the good I am doing. And it does feel good when somebody says, well done. But that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about at all. And so, threw this in from Mark. If we are enslaved to one another, you are as much the preacher's slave as he is yours. <laughs> you are as much the preacher's slave as he is yours. Now, the reason I bring this up, and you could put several things in here. Uh, any of the different ministers, elders, deacons, one of the things that often happens, especially in smaller congregations where you only get one preacher, is that the church expects the preacher to do everything. I mean, everything. And what ends up happening is the preacher is a slave and the congregation never engages in service, in slavery themselves. That's the preacher's job. That's the elder's job. That's the deacon's job. That's the minister in charge of this job. Instead of recognizing that perhaps this is my job. One of the great things about the congregation where I preach is that they know I'm just a part-timer. And they can't call me up and say, Kurt, can you do this? Well, now they can because they've been working on that stupid uh, uh, spiritual uh, discipline thing of interruption. <laughs> but what if I'm engaged in prayer? What if I'm engaged in Lectio Divina? What if I'm engaged in any of these spiritual disciplines and somebody's trying to interrupt me? I need to be able to be interrupted. But more importantly, one of the things that's great about the congregation where I work, because I'm just a part-timer, is that has been a part of this congregation's DNA from the beginning. And so the congregation knows that it's not the preacher's job. And it's not the elder's job. And it's not the deacon's job. And it is amazing how many ministries get started. I, I can't even tell you what all the ministries are that are going on in our congregation because people just start them. Because they recognize that they are enslaved to the world. And when a need is found, it gets started. 15% of our congregation is deaf. It got started, that deaf ministry got started because some college kids were washing their clothes in the laundromat and saw a deaf couple and struck up a conversation. One of the college kids knew sign language. 
30% of our congregation is African. They are there because one kid from Burundi, 15 years ago or so, was invited by somebody to come to church. And so he called up and said, hey, I think I'd like a ride to church. And then he found Christ in the family of God, and he brought friends, and he brought people that he met, and over and over and over. If we have the mentality that we are enslaved to one another, then every interruption, every question, every frustration becomes an opportunity for us to be slaves. Slaves in some way to make a difference in other people's lives so that they can come to know the one true master and might be able to join us as slaves. And that should change everything. That should change the way we think about even the smallest things we do in life. Well, why should we do these things? Well, I don't know if you listened to some of the songs, but some of the songs were really, really powerful in terms of service because they all associated service with salvation. This is a salvation issue. Whether or not you choose to be enslaved to other people is a salvation issue. Matthew 25, the judgment scene, where people are surprised that they had fed Christ and clothed Christ and invited Christ in and visited Christ in prisons and when they were ill. Because it's a salvation issue. Loving God requires loving neighbor. You cannot separate those two commands. That's what Jesus was saying. He was using a fancy Jewish way of interpreting Scripture to say, you cannot love God without loving your neighbor, and you don't know how to love your neighbor unless you love God. The two go hand in hand, and as much as I would love for me to be able to love God without loving my neighbor, because that's the way I grew up. I grew up in what I now call a militant conservative church. They weren't just conservative. They were out in your face, you're all going to hell conservative. We would go door to door to make sure everybody knew who was going to hell. And that Satan had their address. It's a very different idea of how to love God, love neighbor. And this is why we are not just the slaves of Christ, but we are slaves of those who have been created in Christ's image. There is not a limitation on whom we serve, on whom we are, to whom we are enslaved. One of the more interesting things to me is that in Galatians 5, Paul talks about all three persons of the Godhead, the entire Trinity. And he claims that this type of mindset, this type of activity, this type of approach to life is rooted in the very characteristics of God himself. And not just one aspect of God. 
Okay? And this is important because if we're just one aspect of God, I would say, well, I'm just going to focus on the other two-thirds. You know, because at least that's a passing grade, 66%. All right, and I'll just sort of skip that service part. No, it's in God's entire image. Okay? It is God's will. It is modeled in the crucifixion of Christ. And it is where the Spirit leads us. And you have a bunch of language in Galatians 5 about walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. And all three of those activities by the Spirit lead us where I do not want to go, if I'm honest with you. Because they lead me to serving other people. You're familiar with the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. Now, one of the interesting things that happens with the works of the flesh, the list in Galatians 5, is we tend to read the entire list but only recognize half of it, depending on which sins we like and which ones we don't. So drunkenness, idolatry, licentiousness, orgies, witchcraft, sexual immorality, impurity. For those of you listening to the tape, I didn't have that memorized. I'm reading off the screen. That's half the list. And what we're dealing with there is those types of sins are the types of sins when you start serving things. This is addictive behavior. What often happens when somebody is oppressed, when somebody is a slave, you try and find some sort of outlet. You try to find some way to find relief. And you can do that in alcohol, you can do that in drugs, you can do that in sex, you can do that in all sorts of different ways. But what ends up happening is you get enslaved to something. The other half of the sins, dissension, selfish ambition, fits of rage, jealousy, envy, hatred, factions, discord, those are the types of things that come when I'm oppressed and I'm, I'm suffering and I want my feelings, I want my issues to be at the forefront, and that is serving self. So Paul says you can serve things, you can serve self, or you can serve others through the fruit of the Spirit. The reason the Spirit gives us love is so that we can love those people who hate us. I don't know if you've thought about that, but it's not some warm fuzzy that God just says, here's a whole big bowl full of love. He's given us love for a purpose, that we might be enslaved to one another. He's given us joy so that we might be enslaved to those who suck joy right out of our lives. He's given us peace for those who are always argumentative and combative. Patience with all those who are constantly demanding of our time. Kindness to the people who are as unkind as they can be. All of these things that the Spirit produces within us are for a purpose, and that purpose is for us to serve others, for us to be enslaved to one another. It's not for me to sit back on some sort of beat chair and just 
soak in what God's dumping on me. Because I'm not there to be honored by God. I am there to be empowered to be His presence in the world, and His presence is marked by the cross of Christ, which is given to the world so that they might come to know God. And where God begins is in the giving. Every story in Scripture begins with God giving. And that's where our story begins too if we are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is to produce that which is necessary for me to enslave myself to you. To the extent that I can imitate the cross of Christ. There's no retirement age with slavery. You get a gold watch after so many years of service. There's no retirement age for slavery. But God has empowered each and every one of us to be enslaved. I hope that as you work on spiritual formation in this congregation, that that will be something that you focus on. Because that's where a tremendous amount of spiritual growth will take place. I noticed in the topics on these love one another passages, you left out a bunch of others in Galatians. Don't you want to be part of a church, a family, a kingdom that is constantly seeking the best for others and serving in ways that makes them know the best there is. 